seated. <clears throat> well, it's good to be here this morning, and everybody's downstairs, so uh, how nice that we get to all be together and sit next to each other and shake hands. So uh, I know it's been a tough year and a lot of transitions, and transitions for our church, too. And today, <clears throat> we will be in uh, the end of our series, so... I know, it's sad. Uh, we, we started this at the beginning of January this year, uh, just entitled New Life. And as I was praying about this really, really about a year ago, before we even started this series, um, I felt like God just kept pointing me in the direction um, of the Psalms and um, just of restoration and of new hope and new life. And so that's where we came to this place of uh, the title being New Life. And a lot of us probably are glad that we're in this spot now as opposed to where we were last year and all the things that have taken place and the good and the positive and transitioning us to allow us to be back in this setting, right, to be together. So uh, with that, go ahead and turn your Bible to Psalm chapter 21. Psalm chapter 21. We'll uh, end the series in that psalm. You can only imagine how long we could spend in the psalms uh, if, we had, if we decided to go all the way through them. We spent about six months just taking a couple of breaks just through 21 psalms. So uh, we'll end here. And the title of the message today is going to be Living Salvation and Finding Our Place. Finding Our Place. It's one of the biggest questions in life. Um, where, where do we belong? Uh, what are we supposed to do with our lives? What are we supposed to, like, what is our job supposed to be? Uh, who are we supposed to marry? There's all those questions that pop up, and especially early on in life, um, that we're trying to figure out. And so depending on where you are, you may have figured out some of those things. But today, I think David's going to give us a perspective of this living salvation, and that if we can have the right view, we see where we stand, we see where the rest of the world stands, and we see where God is. And that really kind of helps inform our identity. Uh, you know, a lot of the times we will find our identity in, in what we do for a living, or we'll find our identity in uh, maybe a spouse, uh, maybe even living vicariously through a child who's successful in a certain area, and we think that's who we are. Now, it's not that doing something in particular is a bad thing, right? We have a lot of teachers, and that's an amazing profession. Um, we, we have people who do a variety of things, people who do farming, who own and work on a farm and provide food for everybody else. So, uh, so that's amazing too. We need everybody to do their part, but yet our, our greatest purpose and our greatest identity in life, one of the reasons, so actually the main reason that we're here together and we worship together is because we belong to God. And he gives us this identity, and David knew it. Uh, at the time that they were fighting the Philistines during the Psalm chapter 20 and 21, uh, there was a lot of doubt, right? And I feel like through this last year, there's been a lot of doubt, right? We've had to just kind of continually lean on who God is to find out who we are, especially who we're supposed to be in really, really difficult seasons. And isn't it interesting that that's kind of where we find out who we really are, right? When things get tough, we go, oh, okay, that's who I really am. And there was a song <clears throat> that Michael W. Smith wrote, one of my favorite Christian uh, artists, and it's uh, entitled My Place in This World. Um, and it just, the chorus just goes like this, I'm looking for a reason, roaming through the night to find my place in this world. Not a lot to lean on, I need your light to help me find my place in this world. And if you know anything about Michael W. Smith's background, it was rough, right? He was a musician, he was in Nashville, he was um, in the scene where there was a lot of drugs, things getting passed around, and um, he ended up finding the Lord and turning that for him, but 
in, in his setting, I think he was writing from a previous time when he wrote that song. He was saying, man, <laughs> I'm roaming around. I'm trying to find my place. I need your help, right? And that's where we should all be. And that's where we've all been. And we've found the Lord, most of us in here, and, and if not all of us. And we come to this place where we have to, we have to answer that question. What really is our place? What's our identity? And how do we really know this living salvation? I mean, truly, how do we know it? And so with that, we'll jump into our first point, place of salvation, the place of salvation. So where is that? We'll work through it. And I just want to give you a little bit of background. Maybe we all know it by heart. In fact, I could probably have one of the kids come up here. I'm not going to do that. Don't panic, all right? And they're going, not me, not me. So what's the background to the book of Psalms? Well, we know that David wrote over half of the Psalms, right? There were various other authors throughout history, uh, kind of um, spanning the Old Testament. And Ezra, as Ezra and Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem, and they were going to rebuild the temple and rebuild the wall, Ezra, as the priest, was tasked with this, uh, this opportunity, this special privilege to, to gather all the books uh, of the law and of the Psalms and all the things that had been written, and he, and he put them together so that the church fathers, years later, would be able to pick up these books, very well organized, and, and with all the information of who wrote them, when they were written, why they were written, and now we have it today. And so the main purpose, and we kind of go through the Psalms, and we think there are a lot of good sayings, kind of like the Proverbs too. There's wisdom there. There's importance there. It kind of helps us understand how to live life, and that's true. But it's also, as we walk through the Psalms that David writes, to help us understand how to navigate the good times and the bad times, right? Because both of those come, and if we don't know how to handle each of those, well, it's going to be pretty difficult, even as believers. Something bad happens, and we go, oh, no, we don't know what to do. Something good happens, and we go, God, I must be awesome. I must be great. And to put this in perspective, looking at Psalm 21 is really going to help us kind of frame this as we close this series out. And, it, you know, if you don't know about Psalm 20 and 21, they, they really point to Christ. And so they're known as one of the uh, messianic prophecy passages um, that David speaks on. Now he's going to talk about himself, he's going to talk about the people of God, but he's also going to talk about Jesus. And, and to see all those things kind of wrapped up together really helps us understand where we sit as the church all these years later, and where we sit personally as well. So this place of salvation, we start in verse 1, we find that God's strength is in salvation. So verse 1, it says, O Lord, Jehovah, this word for Lord, of course, is Jehovah. We've seen that many times before. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. So David and the people, they've just won this battle over the Philistines. They fought them many times. And again, the Philistines are this, this thorn in David's side, just over and over again. In fact, David, in one of the last battles, this is one of the last ones that he fights, by the way. He's getting kind of up there in age. And, and even though people fought until uh, later on in life, David did the same thing. And he almost dies in one of these last battles. And his men are like, hey, you know, we need to keep the king around as long as possible, especially this king. And so even going through that, this is what David's a, he's able to say after the battle, O oh Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. I love this word for salvation. It's actually the word in Hebrew, the Yeshua, and it's, <clears throat> it can be translated as deliverance. So how greatly he exalts, this deliverance that we've been given. Uh, you can find this in 1 Samuel 2, 1. Hannah used the word salvation when she said this. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. If you know anything about 
Hannah's story. She wasn't able to have a child, and then she prayed to the Lord, and she said, Lord, if you give me a child, I will dedicate him to your service. And that's exactly what she did, and she says, because of that, this, and I rejoice in your salvation, your deliverance, and allowing me to fulfill this great purpose. And we know about Samuel. Well, he was one of the great, greatest prophets, one of the greatest priests uh, that, that the people of God had ever known. And, and so here's the question. Where, where do we walk in these victories? Because I know we, we're kind of coming out of the other side of, of really a great struggle, really kind of figuring out, well, where do we stand in all this? Where is our place as the church and in all the different areas that we serve and that we do life? And I come to this, and I just go, and, and he says, and in your salvation, how greatly he exalts. You know, the Lord, he rescues us from things all the time, right? He gives us salvation. So, so that's amazing that David's pointing towards this future salvation that Jesus is going to bring. But he, he's also saying, hey, God, thank you for delivering us. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for doing this. And sometimes I just think we forget, right? We read these Psalms, and we go, yeah, they, I mean, they had a great victory, you know, in the Old Testament. But we don't think about all these things like what Andy said the things that are wins for us, the things that when we come out the other side, do we give God credit, you know? Do we go, man, this could have been so much worse, God, or you know, thank you for helping us get through this season. It wasn't that it wasn't hard, but you delivered us, didn't he? And he taught us so many things along the way. And then in verse 2, it talks about our heart's desire in salvation. It says in verse 2, you have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips, Selah. And so what, what happens? Now, this isn't necessarily talking about all the stuff that like David could have, you know, like many of us come up with like this laundry list of things that they just want to happen, right? That they want to see happen in life. But when David was talking about this deliverance, he says, you have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. So what happened in Psalm chapter 20? Well, the people of God, they, they were getting ready to go into battle, and there was a great choir, and the people were praying, and they were singing. And David said something. I don't know if you remember it. He said, I know. He made this statement, I know. Is everybody else is saying, like, God, we, like <clears throat> this is what we want to happen. Like, this is what we're hoping happens. We're, we're praying to you. God, would you please? You know, and we do that a lot of the times too. But, but David said, before they go into battle, I know this about God. He's a good God. He, he does do this. He delivers. And he says it right here, of his heart's desire, you have not withheld the request of his lips. So now do we do this in this, this kind of season as well? We're thankful for the salvation that God gives, but, but in our identity and who we are and who we re- are represented to other people, instead of people who are, who are entitled or think that we deserve salvation, what's really our heart's desire? How do we represent God and, and ourselves, our families, our church family, to this community, to our work, to all the different places that we go, is it that we have this heart's desire that's been fulfilled, right? It says, has, have not withheld the request of his lips. And, and we can look at a few other places. I think of James. In James 4, 3, it says, you ask and do not, ha- do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So how do we ask God? Was David coming to God like before the battle, all the people are singing and he goes, I know. Well, he, he wanted God to have the victory, didn't he? He's going, it doesn't really matter what happens to us. I mean, God, we want you to save us. We want you to deliver us, but, but we want you to have the glory. We are your people, and we want to honor you. And why do you think the request was fulfilled? Why do you think the heart's desire was fulfilled? Because the people's hearts were right. They were God's people. And they said, 
we're going to do whatever God wants. And then in verse 3, I love this part. He says, he talks about our crown. So our crown in salvation. He says, for you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. And, and I, I love this psalm because as the Psalm 20 is kind of, it's more of a corporate song. Everybody's getting involved. They're having kind of this public assembly. Psalm 21, this is David, like as he's reflecting. I don't know if you've ever just like sat and reflected. Hopefully, we should do that often. Have you ever just sat and reflected on, on what God has done? Like what are the amazing things that he's done, the things that we just go, oh, that just happened, right? That's just part of life. That was just something good. I mean, I, you know, maybe even I did that. But, but David, he's in this, this time with the Lord, and he's just thanking the Lord. He's pointing towards Christ, and he's, he's saying here, for you meet him with rich blessings. So how, and we've seen this word before, blessings. It's the word barak in the Hebrew um, that God has, he's dealt bountifully with us, hasn't he? Now, I, I know a lot of people will go, what? Well, I don't know about that. It's, I mean, it's been rough, but how has God dealt with us? Bountifully, and maybe you're even still kind of going through a difficult season. We we all go through those, whether it's um, our own, our kids, our parents, um, and we get the ebbs and flows of life in the midst of COVID and everything else uh, can make things incredibly difficult. And as we're walking through this, and as we're walking out of it, I think into a into a positive season, to an encouraging season, David's just sitting here and he's thanking the Lord and he's saying, God, I mean, you're the one that provides salvation, but here's what you do for you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. And I think David, he's talking about a variety of crowns here. So in the Hebrew, the word for crown, atara, it's kind of like atari, although kids probably don't know what that is. Some of us know what atari is. And uh, so he, David, he talks about this atara. He says, uh, thank you for these, these crowns. You've dealt bountifully with us. And, and then he says, you set this atara of fine gold upon his head. Now, the scripture talks about a variety of crowns. It's really kind of cool. So if you, if you kind of look at just the different crowns, the different atara, if you look that up in the Hebrew in the Old Testament, uh, there's crowns of wisdom. There's crowns of having a good wife. There's crowns of wealth, of a righteous life, which produces gray hair, by the way. So it's a, it's a good one, the way how we recognize it. There's a crown of grandchildren, right? All the grandparents you know, said amen, right? <laughs> so praise God for grandparents. And so in this, I'm just going to look at a couple of these. Proverbs 4, 9, it says, She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. It's talking about wisdom. And so we get a variety of these crowns, and God's, Jesus, David is thanking God for these. You set this crown of, crown of fine gold, but he's talking about more than just this crown that he gives in victory in battle. In Proverbs 12, 4, it says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Have you ever been around like a couple? I know we have a lot of couples in our church. It's just kind of like that. Like you're, you're going around and, and you see each other together. And uh, what does the husband do? He, he dotes on his wife. He talks about his wife. He, as he walks around, you're, you're kind of like, he just sort of like emanates that he's got an amazing wife. And, and we should do that, guys, right? And so the, that's another crown that we have. It's like you're wearing it around on your head. Like I have a great wife. And the crown, it says, this crown of an excellent wife. It sits right on her head. So there's a converse to this. It says, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Don't look at anybody. Don't look at me. We only have that crown, right, guys? So then in verse Proverbs 14, 24, it says, the crown of the wise is their wealth, 
now of life, of acquisition of things. Now, we, we would expect people who are godly, who do things well, who have ethical business practice, right? There's going to be some success in that even. And as we see those things, God says, hey, he, there's this crown of wealth, of life. Now, he doesn't guarantee those things, but he does say, hey, a life that's committed to doing things rightly, doing things well. You'll see some of that too. And what about this crown of gray hair? We all love that one, right? Proverbs 16, 31 says, gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life, right? I've only got a little bit coming in on the sides, right? Some of us have more of that, and we go, okay, yeah, yeah, I like that, right? Gray hair is a crown of life. And Proverbs 17, 6 says, grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of their children of children is their fathers. Um, of course, all the grandparents, right, say amen, right? We love grandchildren. And praise God for grandparents, because we need them, right? Well, if you look towards the New Testament, we see all these crowns in the Old Testament. Then we look to the New Testament, and there's this crown of righteousness. And I really do believe that David, as he's writing, he's pointing towards this future salvation that Christ is going to bring. And then there's this other crown that we receive. So there's all these crowns of life that are like, that's good. I enjoy that. That's like an excellent crown. Thank you for giving that to us, God. We give you the credit for that. And then we see here in 2 Timothy 4, I'll just read verses 7 and 8. It says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid it for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. So we get this crown of righteousness. Can you imagine all, I mean, all the great many blessings of life that God gives, how he, God, he deals with us bountifully, and David knows this, right? He, the people are going like, yeah, we're just glad we won the battle. Like, we're, we're, let's take a break. They're not thinking like that. And David, in his time with the Lord, he goes, God, you've dealt bountifully with us. You've given us this crown, like this fine gold crown, and it's worth far more than and if what you just look at face value, what he's talking about, this crown of gold. Well, where does it lead us? What well, leads us to this crown of righteousness? And David knew what it was that the Lord, when we stand before him, can you imagine? I mean, of all the other crowns, right? They're just, <laughs> just going to lay them at his feet. And then he gives us the crown of righteousness, and he places it on, on our heads. Can you imagine how much greater, how much more awesome that? Just in, in comparison, and, and we have to think about that, because if we're not giving praise to God, if we're not, <laughs> we're not saying, God, Thank you, you've dealt so bountifully with us. If we don't have that perspective, how do we have the right perspective entering into eternity, right? And that we stand before God and we go, check out all the crowns. <laughs> uh, see how I did, right? Instead of going, God, hey, thank you for this bountiful life that you've given. And he gives us the ultimate crown, the crown of righteousness. And so I love that because David, he's, he's talking about some things, but if we just glance over it, if we just like read it at face value, we go, yeah, that's nice. I mean, he gave him a crown, right? The king gets a crown. But he's given us many crowns, and those crowns eventually lead to this crown of righteousness in Second Timothy. And then in verse 4, back in the psalm, it says, He asked life of you. You gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. And I love this because there's life in salvation, right? So we don't just, like David knows, we don't just live this life to do things, to make conquest. Like the other nations that were around him, they were just trying to get what they could get. I mean, they were trying to like get as much wealth, get as much power, get as much land as they could acquire in the time that they had on earth. And David knew he was like, it's worth a little bit more than that, right? There's this greater purpose. And he says, he asks life of you. 
you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. And if you, you know how long David lived, he actually lived pretty long for ancient times. He was probably about 72, uh, most scholars would say. And so he passes and he gives the crown to Solomon, his son. But towards the end, they fight that battle. He knows life is about way more than just winning this battle. He says he asked life of you. You not only gave it to him in this battle, but in all, all of life, you gave it to him length of days forever and ever. And of course, we know because this is a messianic prophecy of what well, Jesus is going to come. He, he goes, you, you've given life to me, but, but there's this greater life. You've given a greater life to one who's going to come, who's going to save us, who's going to offer salvation to all people. And these length of days, man, you've given us good days, right? And you know people who are believers who have lived faithfully, and you talk with them at the end, and they're just like, they're thankful, they're happy, they're enjoyable, enjoyable to be around. And you've been around people who just either don't know the Lord or have just kind of gotten that place where it's like, I just don't know what to be thankful for anymore. And David is saying at the end, man, God, you've been faithful. You, man, you've given me length of days. Oh, wouldn't it be great to be able to say that? I mean, whenever the end is for you, you think, I want to be able to say, God, thank you for these length of days. Thank you for how you've dealt with me. Thank you for how you've cared for me. And then in verse 5, there's this glory that's shared through salvation. And, and David knows it because the people are set apart. And so he says in verse 5, his glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow upon him. And so now it becomes really, really clear what's going on. David's talking about Jesus is going to come. He's going to be in his line. He says, his glory is great through your salvation. So he's not just talking about the people. He's not just talking about his kingship, right? He's going, thank you, God, for elevating of us above all the people. Thank you for putting us on this pedestal and making us great. No, he's, he's saying his glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow upon him. So again, David, he's, he's pointing this all to Christ, and the, he's helping us understand that we have this glory as well. He's going, God, we, we have been set apart. We've been set apart for this purpose, splendor and majesty you bestow through this salvation, through this rescuing, right? Now, we know that God, he was with his people in the Old Testament. He was leading them, and, 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 and aren't we thankful that he's grafted us all in to his family, right? So it was, it was the Hebrew people only, and when Jesus came and David knew this was going to take place, he goes, God, we're just, we're just trying to show other people the right thing right now, that you've given us glory, that you've given us position and power. And there would even be times where the people of God would reason with the people around him, like, don't do this, like, don't come up against us because it's not going to go well. And there were appeals that were made. We, we looked through the book of Jonah, just a, several, a few several weeks ago, we were going through the quiet time, and there was appeal, an appeal made to people who were not a part of the Hebrew people, not a part of the family of God. So God was always about showing people that there's this, greatest, this, this greater purpose that you could have. There's this greater fulfillment that you could have through being with me, through being with us. And he gives us his glory. He shows that in his splendor and majesty that he bestows upon him. And then in verse 6, we said there's this, there's this joy in this presence of salvation. And this is for us. So it says in verse 6, For you make him most blessed forever, and you make him glad with the joy of your presence. Now, have we experienced that? I hope that most of us in here have. And especially with everything that's gone on, it's like if we can turn to God and say, Thank you in the midst of the difficulty for dealing with me, well, for dealing with me bountifully, for giving me more than I could ever want or ask for anything that I could ever need, you take care of me. He says, for you make him most blessed forever. Who is most blessed forever? Well, Jesus is. 
He's pointing to the people and to his kingship, to his reign as well. He's saying there's going to be somebody who's going to come. He says, you make him glad with the joy of your presence. And David is saying, and God, if there's nothing else, if there's nothing else going on, if I'm just in your presence. I don't know if you've, you've been in that place, and it's kind of confusing for us too because we have the Holy Spirit, right? So when we put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and just like Jesus said, he said there's going to be this helper that's going to come, the Spirit. And when he left, he sent the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was given to the church. And so now as believers, as we confess in the Lord, we're given that. And so we have his presence always, but there's something special, isn't there, just about being alone and sitting in his word and going, God, would you show me things? <laughs> would you speak to me? But would you remind me of your joy? That doesn't typically happen like on our, maybe, maybe not on our commute to work. I could be wrong, right? Uh, it certainly didn't happen in Dallas where we, we used to live, right? No, there's no joy going on there. Just people get out of the way, right? We have to get there. And so God, he gives us this joy, right? This satisfaction. And we can't find it anywhere else. I think about it most, um, especially around this season, because like the weather's nice, everybody's outside doing things. Uh, we've already done a little bit of camping. And so I love to just kind of go out into those places and just sit like, in the quiet. Like there's no cars going by um, and there's nothing else going on. And just, just think about the things that God has done, right? And we need that time of perspective, right? Of introspection where we sit and we go, God, thank you for who you are. Thank you most for giving me joy in the midst of maybe times where I don't feel like being so joyful. And when I'm on the other side of it, it's easy to look back and go, man, God, you're amazing. And this is what David does. He says, you make him glad with the joy of your presence. So do we have that? I mean, we should, right? It's hard sometimes. But when we look at what David says, after coming out of a great battle, after getting a great win, we should, right? We should be able to, to, to look to God and go, you make me glad with the joy of your presence. And if that's all we had, that should still be enough, right? You make me glad in the joy of your presence. So think about that. Like, I mean, I know we, we don't go, well, that's not going to happen to me, right? We're, I'm not going to be like Job. Well, you don't know, right? And so I think it's good for us to, to in perspective, go when the winds happen, when great things happen, and when God is he's moving and he's working and he's giving us blessing and we're seeing those things actively, we go, God, thank you for giving me the joy but help me, help me to have that perspective no matter what, right? And then verse 7, For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. And, and I love that he, he ends this part with really this trust in salvation. So for the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. So who does, who does David trust in? Well, he's saying he trusts in Jehovah. He trusts in the Lord, this, this ever-present God, this ever-existing God who, who himself does not move. And he, he says the steadfast love. You see this throughout the Hebrew, this word hesed, and hesed. It's in the Hebrew, and, and I love it because it, it talk, it's like this, uh, this idea of this loving kindness, like this grace, this, this love that God gives us. It's like special. It's set apart from any other love, right? Um, we were at uh, the school, Elba School, uh, this week for Alana's um, graduation. And um, it's fun, you know, they get the kids up there and they're doing some songs and things. And there's one song where she was like, and I, they were singing the I Love You song. And she, when she did that, she pointed right at us. And she, well, she's on stage and she knows where she is, we are. And, and she pointed at us and she said, I love you. And I, was, I thought at that moment, like, there's special love, right, that a kid has for parents, that a parent has 
for kids. In the same way, like God looks at us and he, he doesn't want us to forget this because as we read verse 7, for the king trusts in the Lord and through the steadfast love, through this hesed, through this loving kindness of the most high, he shall not be moved. So, so how are we not moved, right? Or is, it, is it like just going, I'm not going to be moved, you're not going to be able to do it. You can't make me, you know, can't make me move, right? Some of us have really strong wills or like type A, and like we, like we, we could do that for a while, right? And there's the winds and the waves batter at us. But how are we really not moved in life? How are we really not like, like we can be pressed on really, really hard, but we're not crushed, right? That's what the scripture tells us. We're not destroyed. And it's because of this loving kindness, this steadfast love, this has said that God gives us it comes straight from him. It says, he shall not be moved. So David's pretty confident about this, right? He knows throughout all the things he's gone through in his life, all the struggles, all the temptations, all the failures, he goes, through this loving kindness of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Now, David's not talking. He's, not, he's going, there's going to be a day. I know I'm going to be on my deathbed. I'm going I'm to die and I'm going to stand before God. And he He's got this place for me set aside. It's through the salvation that he gives us, but it's from him. And he knows. He says, I shall not be moved. It's been difficult, right? It's been tough to not be moved. You know, I think about as we came, you know, we've been doing services again in person for about a year, but it's tough not to go back to those places sometimes, right? I remember, and for me, like the bad times, right? And I think they were for some of you too. And, and as I was thinking about making this series, I was like, where was I maybe at the lowest, and we all had that point, right? And I think it was for me as I was getting ready to do a message, and you, and you think like, well, that's, you know, that's fun, right? That's, that's kind of part of your job. You enjoy that. And then I was going, I'm about to sit in front of a camera for the 10th time, and I don't know. I don't know that that's what I want to be doing forever, right? And see, so we all had kind of those different ways we were doing things. Some of us were just out there all the time. You know, teachers were doing the whole video thing. It was terrible too, Right? But when we look at this, we go, after we've kind of come out of that, after we've spent a year out of it, it's not that it didn't hurt, right? It's not that it wasn't difficult. Not that we didn't have to make adjustments and still aren't. But we look at this and we go, man, God, thank you for that steadfast love that you gave us throughout that season and, and now still. And we look back at that and we, we now recognize it even better. And we know that we weren't moved, right? Struggled, but we weren't moved. And now the second point, place of destructions, place of destruction. So we had this place of salvation. That's where we are, but the rest of the world is there's just so much turmoil, right? As all these things are kind of unraveling, supposedly things are better, but you still see a lot of things that are not so good. So we have the place of salvation, and David, he's going to go back to this place of destruction. So where are the people who oppose God? Where are the people who don't follow God? Where are people who are separated from him? And here's what he says in verse 8, this place of destruction. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. So nothing's hidden from God, Right? And as we, as we go through this, he says there's this hate and destruction for God. People who just kind of live haphazardly, casually, who don't want anything to do with God, don't have any part of who he is. And they make that choice in life. He says, your hand will find out your enemies. And David's also talking about those who, who oppose God's people, who have tried to kill them, have come up in battle. He said, we've conquered the people. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. And David's not going like, I'm going to find them all out, God. David's not, he's not God's mercenary, Right? But he is carrying out God's will, and he's going, in any situation, I will be able to stand firm. And here's, here's what other people are going to try to do. They're going to hate, and they're going to try to destroy the enemies of God. And he says, your right hand will find out those who hate you. So David's not worried about it, right? 
Like, there's so much stress, right, and anxiety even now. Like, things that we're worried about. Like, what is it going to look like? What are we going to do? What's school going to be like next year? Uh, I know we think about that. Are we still going to have to wear masks doing that, right? You know, I want to be able to look at my kid and go, like, you can have a normal school experience, right? I remember going to kindergarten. Didn't have to do that, yeah? And so we want to be able to say those things. But, it, but David says, your right hand will find out those who hate you, right? And then in verse 9, there's this consuming fire of destruction. And, I, and um, I, I, I've loved reading through this because I've been getting ready for the series we'll do in the fall in the book of Revelation, which will be a lot of fun. And, and we, we have to deal with those concepts, right? That, that there is heaven, there is hell, there is destruction, there is salvation, right? And, and that's good news, and it should be for us. That as we view God's wrath, we should go, man, grace is worth so much more. We realize that it's true, right? And so in verse 9, <clears throat> it says, You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. <laughs> Some people would have been, let's just finish on verse 7, right? That was good. I think, I think we'll finish there. And then you read this and you go, oh, wow, like, like God's serious about justice, right? And, and, and when people read that, they go, no, I mean, he couldn't be like a blazing oven. That sounds terrible. Well, it will be, right? And so David's, he's not only pointing towards Jesus, but he's going, like, here's where this results. Here's if you don't have this salvation. Here's where it leads. It says, you will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. Like, literally just God's appearing. Have you ever thought about that? Like, when he, and he, he comes back and he's, he's making everything right and it's a good day for us, right? Because we belong to him. What's going to happen? You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and the fire will consume them. Now, you know I'm not like a hellfire and brimstone guy, right? <laughs> I think that's been obvious in our time together, but there's a place to understand what David's talking about. He's going, yes, salvation and faithfulness, and God, you've dealt so bountifully with us. You've cared for us. You've given us this love. But the truth is, if we don't have God's justice, if we don't have his wrath, if we don't have like what the people in the Old Testament carrying out God's wrath, showing his justice and those who oppose God himself, then what, what do we do with grace, right? Does grace seem a little bit cheap if there's not some sort of penalty for sin, right? If not some sort of penalty for opposing God, we should go, thank you, God, for that. There's perspective, right? Um, and I always think about this. It's not just like an easy bake oven, right? It's not just like you hang out and everything's like, oh, it's a little hot. It's not like today. Like you outside, it's hot. It's not as hot as Texas, okay? But it's hot for here, right? <laughs> so and we have to think about that. And um, this, uh, I love this quote here by um, Spurgeon. He said, there's a day of vengeance of our God. Let those who despise the day of grace remember this day of wrath. And so we have to think about this in perspective. It comes, it will take place, and David knew that. And it's all in perspective to salvation. That's why he focuses the first seven verse on, on everything and how God has done, done well with us. He's dealt bountifully with us. He's cared for us. He's loved us, giving us his loving kindness. But if we don't understand justice, if we don't understand wrath and destruction, then how can we ever really understand grace? How can we ever really truly be like thankful wholeheartedly to God for what he's done and what he's rescued us from us, from, from, from? And so that should help motivate us too, right? So he says in uh, verse 10, there's no future in this destruction. It says, you will destroy their descendants from the earth, their offspring from among the children of man. So he's talking about the peoples of the land, but he's also talking about this place of people, who, anybody who would oppose God, anybody who would not be a part of his family. Where does it lead? Well, it leads nowhere, right? There's no future. 
It's going to end. There's going to be a dead end, and that's going to be it. There's not going to be this abundant life in this life, all the crowns that we talked about that we receive, and then the one where we, we stand before God and receive that crown of righteousness. People who oppose God, who don't know Him, who have never put their faith and trust in Him, will never experience that. They'll be separated from Him forever. It is interesting that David, he's able to point us towards Jesus and towards judgment in the same passage as he's recounting God's goodness. As he's saying, thank you, God, for rescuing us. You have delivered us. And then in verse 11, it says, Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. So how does the rest of the world operate? I mean, how, how do those who, who don't know God, who, who even oppose him adamantly and say, no, either God's not real, I don't want anything to do with him, or I, I hate God and I don't want anything to do with him. And we've probably all met people like that before. Um, I, I was thinking of the song by Frank Sinatra, um, My Way. Maybe you've heard it before. Usually played at funerals, that kind of thing. It's meant as kind of a celebration, but I think it's sad, or at least it should be for us. Uh, and the line in the song, I faced it all, I stood tall, and I did it my way, right? Oh, I don't know. I don't know that I want that to be the thing that people remember, right? I did it my way because I think my way is not the best way sometimes, right? That we should do it God's way. And, and as I was, uh, really this last year, I know we, we had COVID and everything else, and then my grandfather got really sick and, and passed away. Um, and when I, when I went there to visit with him, you know, people always tell stories, right? When somebody passes away, just things about him. And there's always new things that you learn, right? Because there's all these different people who are sharing things about this individual. And one of the things that kept coming up, well, my grandfather, he uh, owned a surveying business. And so, you know, they go out and they set the stakes and they hold the sticks and they have a little, you know, the little computer device that measures distance. And then you get this nice little, you know, picture of what you own, right, of this property. And so I got to go out and do that all the time where there will be people sometimes, like businesses, companies who would do things a little unethically. They wouldn't do things right. They would change things. And um, there was a time where uh, my grandfather uh, went out and, and did a, a new survey because there were some things that weren't done so well. Well, uh, he went out and did this, and there were some people that came against him really multiple times. When he was trying to do the right thing, he was trying to set things right, to give a right property line. They said, well, you know, we're going to take you to court. He's like, you can try all day long if you want, but who do you think is going to win in the end? Who do you think has the truth? <laughs> and he was always about that. And so there would just be story after story of that, people who would come up against him, and, he just, and, and there'd be some pretty serious you know, lawsuits at times, and, and he would just say, I'm not worried about it. I'm not stressed out about it. How can you not be? Well, we've got the truth on our side, right? And so as we think about this, there's, there's those that they have this evil plan against you. They devise mischief, right? They will not succeed. Isn't that good news, right? The people who belong to the people of God, the people who, who serve God and who have the truth on their side, not too worried about it, right? People are going to do things their way. I'd rather do things God's way, right? And if, I'll, let's, let, let, let's get God sorted out, right, at the end. I think I'll take that one over everything else. And then verse 12, it says, For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. That's not a nice verse, is it, right? Now, I'm always going to be, I'm going to be honest. Like, we're never going to skip over things, but that was tough. Like, when I read it, I read that, I was like, David, like, wow. Like, that was harsh. They're going to aim at their faces. And he's talking about everyone who opposes God, right? Everybody who's separated from God, everybody who doesn't belong to him, who say directly, who hate and plan mischief and come up against us and go, we're going to get you. And you're going like, I mean, try whatever you want, right? 
It's because we've got the truth on our side. And by the way, and God, he's a, I don't know if you've read that anywhere, but Scripture tells us he's an avenger also, right? He makes things right. And whether it's in this life, whether it's in the life to come, you didn't know that, did you, right, kids? He's actually the first avenger, right? He's the, he's the greatest avenger. He'll be the one who will be around forever being the avenger for us. All right, so we don't have to worry about that. We can just go, man, I'm not stressed out about it. I'm not worried because God takes care of it. He takes care of us. He's dealt bountifully with us. But for those who oppose him, David goes, let me give you this picture, right? As we come through this battle, the people of God were celebrating, right? And so he's saying, yeah, God's dealt so bountifully with us. He's given us this loving kindness. But there's this destruction for those who are opposed to him, right? And they're going, yeah, yeah, David, we know, we know. But then he goes a little bit further and he says, for you will put them to flight. You're going to make them run away. Everybody's doing things that are, that are wrong in opposition to you. They're running the other direction. And, and how can, here, here's another good question. As you're reading this, how do you aim at people's faces when they're running away, right? <laughs> like, uh, you know, I was reading this, I was going, that doesn't make sense. But for God, well, he makes things right. And he makes things right swiftly and justly. And it doesn't matter. It's like you can't get away from him, right? Jonah figured that out when he was trying to run away from God to take, take the message somewhere else, not to the people he said to go to. But for the people who are just opposing God, planning evil, planning mischief, saying, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I don't care what God has to say about it. It's like somebody running away, and God is able to aim at their face and say, hey, you might want to stop, right? And there's this warning here too, isn't there, right? And this should motivate us too. I know we, like, we don't like thinking about this, but we should go, man, everybody who I know who doesn't know God. And look, I know we have family members. We have people who are close to us. And we should go, man, God, I don't, want, I don't want that, right? I don't want that for them. Help me. Help motivate me that I might share. Everybody makes their own choices, don't they? And as David's recounting this, he's going, we have this loving kindness you've dealt so bountifully with us. But if we don't understand destruction, then how do we understand our place, right? How do we understand our identity? How do we not understand being thankful, saying, God, you could have dealt so much worse with us. And here's how you deal with those who are being destroyed. And we'll close it with verse 13. It's the last fill in the blank, the place of God. So we have the place of salvation, the place where we stand, the place of destruction, where, where all the rest of the world, all the wickedness, all the evil stands. And God says, I'm going to take care of it, right? David reminds us, hey, we've got the loving kindness. Uh, let's leave things to a God who makes everything right. In this place of God, in verse 13, it says, Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. So here we see that God is, not only David's exalting King God, we see that he's saying, hey, God exalts himself, right? He says, we will sing and praise your power. He says, be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. God, just in your presence, right? I mean, you can imagine being in that place, right? We have his salvation. We stand in that place in glory. And I, I don't know, you, you can't even like picture. I sort of think about it, it's like uh, all the clouds, right? And the angels flying around and they're playing harps or whatever. I don't know if they'll be doing that. But there'll be, you know, there'll be this joyous time. So David knew it. When we stand before the Lord, he, he's almost trying to like help the people capture this, right? It's not just about the win right now. It's not just about this, like, this battle that they think is like the greatest battle they've ever fought, right? I mean, you know, it's like they've got some like 20-year-old guys out there who are like, this was the best thing that's ever happened to me. And David's going, you don't have any idea. You don't have any idea because we have salvation. We have this loving kindness. There's destruction for those, yes, these people who oppose God. But let me, let me tell you a little bit about what it might look like if we just kept praising God, if we were thankful no matter what happened. Because there's this place of God where we see him where he really is, and we know where we stand, we know where the rest of the world stands, it gives us a really good picture 
of our placement, of our identity. And he says, be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. He doesn't say, God, exalt us in our strength because it's non-existent, right? He says, O Lord, in your strength, we will sing and praise your power. Now, it's easy for us, too. Like, when we, like we have good things going on, or we're in seasons of like wins and victories, and we feel like, man, God is doing great things. It's okay to be excited about those things, and we should. But then we go, God, what should our response be? And David captures it at the end here. He says, we will sing and praise your power. Not our power. Not anything that we can do. Because David wants the people to remember, hey, there's going to be a time things are going to be difficult. There's going to be a time things are going to go well. And all of his writings throughout the Psalms, he's trying to get us back to this place because he knows God's heart. Scripture tells us he, he was a man after God's own heart. And he says, we will sing and praise your power. We're not going to sing and praise anything else, anybody else. We're going to praise your power. And so I just have a question, um, and I, really a statement that I want to make and a quote um, that I'll share with you. There are a lot of things I think that we, we think of like and we dream of and we like have this vision for, for like, what will the church be like? And no, right now, you know, we're, we're renovating things. We're about to take the pews out. And I just want to keep in perspective like what God can do, right? It's not about what we can do. It's about what God can do. And David knew that. He's like, let's praise his power. Let's not praise our power. Let's think about the things that he can do. And I love this quote by A.W. Tozier. He wrote the book, um, Knowledge of the Holy. Um, if you, you don't know what that book is, you Never read it? Look it up. Um, grab a copy. It's, a, it's one of the greatest books on understanding God's nature and his character, knowledge of the holy. And well, he said this, A.W. Tozer said, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. So, doesn't that put that in perspective? You think about a guy like David who lived his whole life uh, just kind of doing like the next impossible thing. He's like, if God's with us, we can do it, right? He says, as the, these guys are, you know, as a bear's attacking a little lamb, he's like, God's with me. I can kill the bear, right? <laughs> if God's with me, I can slay a giant. Well, all these other mighty men are going, no, no, he's going to get us, right? David says, whatever God wants us to do, we can do. And if we, th- we thought about him like that, if we thought about him like what he could do, what he could accomplish, it's endless, right? He writes a blank check for things, doesn't he? And we kind of think of things in perspective of like what we're capable. And I, I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says, God is looking for people through whom, he, through whom he can do the impossible. Keyword, he can do the impossible, right? What a pity that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. That's kind of how we, the rest of the world operates, right? Here's what we can do. Here's what we have the time for. Here's what we have the resources for. And God says, man, I want to do so many amazing things through you. What could I do? Well, just start imagining because anything is possible with him. So let's not just plan on what we can do. Let's plan on what God can do. And I think we we find our identity in that, that as we've gone through this series, New Life, we find our salvation in this. We know we've already had it. We understand how David knew what was coming before, before Jesus even showed up on the scene. But there's also this place of destruction for those who oppose God, right? Now, it's not, it's not truthful. It's not right to say hell doesn't exist. It's not right to say there's not going to be punishment for those who oppose God. That's not kind. That's not loving. In fact, in this loving kindness that God gives us, he wants us to be truthful with people, right? And share the hope of salvation, which we already have. Here's, all, here's what you can receive in this. And then we understand the place of God, that we should be in this place of ever praising him for his power, 
for his glory and what he's capable of. And then we just go, God, whatever you want to do, we'll do that, right? Kind of endless possibilities don't you, when you think about it, what he's capable of and what our identity is. And maybe we just need the confidence to believe that. So I'd encourage you, um, as we've gone through this series, when I first started um, thinking and praying about this, I just listened through the book of Psalms. Uh, maybe go back and listen through these Psalms. And as you listen through them, um, think about some of the things that we've talked about, some of the things that we've learned. And so I just want to make an appeal uh, before we close, and then there's something special that I'd like us to do. Um, maybe if you're here today, maybe if you're listening online and you've never had that opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus, I'd like to offer that to you. Scripture tells us if we admit that we're sinners, we believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he lived that sinless life, and when he died, he raised back up from the grave, conquering sin and death. The scriptures tell us if we would confess with our mouth that he's the Lord of our lives, well, man, he can save us, right? He can offer us the salvation that David is talking about. We have to keep it in perspective that anybody who's opposed to God, separated from God, there's the alternative, being separated from him forever in hell, right? And that's not something we want for anybody. And so if that's you, there's an opportunity to make that decision. You can do that on your own. Tell God um, or come share with me after service or reach out to us, okay? And so what I'd like to do is pray for us, and then there's something special I'd like for us to do, okay? Let me pray. Uh, Father, we uh, thank you uh, for the word that you give us through David. Uh, God, this prophetic psalm, about your son, Jesus, that um, as we see the victories in life, God, we're pointed towards you. We're pointed towards what you've done and the salvation that you offer us always. Um, God, this loving kindness, I pray we'd never lose perspective of that, as well as destruction and judgment for the world that opposes you, that doesn't want anything to do with you, God. Help us to tell that truth. Um, It's not a popular one, God, but it's certainly one that helps us view your grace in a right way. God, helps us understand who we are, our identity. Um, God, I pray that um, as, we, as we leave this place, as we take care of some business, some other things, that we would never forget that, never forget your place, that we should praise you always. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.